The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, everybody. We've been having some fun little technical difficulties, but it just gets us going and gets us going quicker. So good morning, all you Voice America listeners, and welcome back to another interesting show. Last week, we had the pleasure of talking with Lindsay Grizzle and Augie Jimenez, and we spoke about some of their histories and working with the disabled population and the many joys and challenges that they've had in their careers. By the way, I hope that you have been able to focus on some of your successes over the week and put some of your challenges behind. Well, we thought it was so interesting last week that we really didn't get enough time to talk about everything we wanted. So I'm having them back on today to discuss more about our in-home behavioral programs and different ways of assisting families and individuals living with exceptionalities. We again had many emails and phone call responses all expressing joy in what they're hearing on the show and interest for more. So if you'd like to, we'd love to have you call up today if you can. The call-in number is 866-472-5792. Again, that's 866-472-5792. Call us if you'd like to share a story or collaborate on a problem. We really would like the show to have a call-in portion and um, we'd like to get that started today if possible. You know, the approach at Total Programs is to work alongside a family in their daily activities, utilizing real-life situations to teach and learn from. I was so excited by a recent outcome to a very long, challenging problem that a family that we're working with was engrossed in um, about two years ago. Uh, this elderly couple came into my office saying that they were in a pretty desperate space. Their 32-year-old daughter, Mary, was, you know, quote-unquote, out of control. All she wanted to do each day was to go buy new underwear, obsess on the Internet, or eat exorbitant amounts of food, including often a jar of mayonnaise a day. Mary had already been diagnosed with autism, Asperger's syndrome, and Asperger's syndrome is a what we would call a higher functioning uh, level of autism where language is not as affected and cognitive abilities are pretty much in the average or above average range. So she was a pretty smart girl. Uh, they wanted her to have a productive life and not spend her life engaging in useless and unhealthy behaviors. So, when you look at this kind of thing, you, you got to look at many different aspects. You got to look at the parent's point of view. 
you got to look at the client's point of view, and you got to look at societal concerns and responsibilities. Um, I teach an ethics class, and one of the articles that we look at is an article by a woman named Diane Bannerman. And Bannerman wrote an article in 1990 called Eating Donuts. Actually, they act, it's balancing the rights of habilitation with the right to personal liberties, the rights of people with developmental disabilities to eat too many donuts and take a nap. Maybe a person, oh, I'm sorry. In this article, Bannerman discusses the concept of autonomy and individualism. Maybe a person does does have a drive to go out and work and be a productive person. But there are people also, many people, who choose to stay to themselves, not engage in a career or education. We say it's their choice. But when we come to people with disabilities, we say the person must be in special education, they have to have training classes, then they have to have work work or activity centers. Does that person have the right to just count their underwear each day and eat as much mayo till they turn blue in the face? You know, I asked my daughter once when she was she was seven, and I said, you know, if she had she had a classmate, and if her disabled classmate grew up as an adult and wanted to sit and stare at a blank TV screen and eat bowls of sugar, would that be okay? And Millie, my daughter, responded by telling me, well. As an adult, she has the right to sit and stare at whatever she, whatever thing she wants. But it's not really good for her to eat all that sugar. And because she doesn't really know that, she has to be helped with that part. So, so from the mouth of babes, right? If we respect the individual, we must respect some choice making. But if the choice making leads to unhealthy and unsafe behaviors, then society has the responsibility to help the person make better decisions. See, that's the hard part. So Bannerman writes this article about people's rights and we have the obligation to put services into place, supports into place, but do we have the right to force somebody into changing? Do we have the right to tell a person that who's you know 30 years old, no, you can't count your underwear, no, you can't stand in front of the refrigerator because you know I'm 48 years old nobody tells me what to do so why do we feel that we automatically have the right to tell people with disabilities how to run their life you know the person may be very happy and the cessation of their bad habits or their unwanted behaviors will just make them unhappy so is our goal to make them unhappy is that what we're doing this for is our goal to like prove ourselves to somebody by changing the person and even though it makes them unhappy. So you can't just stop the bad stuff, but you need to put into place something that will again allow the person to be very happy in something else they're doing. You know, you can't just stop, you know, okay, we call it an obsessive behavior. We stop that obsessive behavior, the person may not have anything else. So they become depressed and unhappy. You know, before they were just anxious because they were concerned that somebody was going to stop them from getting into their kind of ritualistic kind of behavior. But now people have stopped them, told them what they're doing is bad. So now they feel bad about themselves. So there we got two problems. We got the problem of the issue and we have the problem of not feeling good about oneself. Mute, please. Now, the problem is quite often that the stopping of a fixation or an obsession leads to anger in the person. 
and it often leading to anger of lashing out of or physical aggression. And that was the case here. Mary's parents were stopping or denying her obsession. Talking about, and her obsession again was talking about underwear or going to Target to buy more or being stopped when overeating. So she would lash out at them often physically. Now I have some guests on today and I just need them to mute their phones. Thank you. We'll be back to the guests though in a minute. Sorry. Um, so back to Mary. She would often lash out at them. In fact, her parents were in, well into their 70s. She had pushed them down the stairs. She had hit them. She had run down the street, screaming, causing the neighbors to be upset. Um, often the police were called by them or by the neighbors. You know, eventually Mary ended up hospitalized. In that hospital, some of her medical issues, like her blood pressure and her diabetes, were dealt with. And in that intensive setting, they could begin to reduce her obsessions with, frankly, what came down to a busy schedule of daily events. She was just spending so much time not engaging in anything purposeful that she found things to engage in. And whether it was eating or the counting of her underwear or the shopping at Target, those became the things that she thought about the most. But that's not the life that her parents wanted for her, and it's not really a life that would be all that great for her. <clears throat> so Mary actually stayed at the hospital for six months, and during that time period, myself and uh, my uh, associate executive director, who was working as the director of community integration skills, Sarah, uh, went and spent time with her in the hospital, tried to teach people about her, to get people to understand her as an individual. You know, really going back home wasn't going to be an option. She'd just fall right back into all these old behaviors and quickly with no one to stop her as her parents, they, they couldn't handle it anymore. They really, and they really didn't need to spend their elderly years that stressed out. While in the hospital, uh, we searched for an in-between medical and psychological type of residential center to continue the milieu that was being created. By the way, a milieu is when everybody's kind of on the same page at a program, they talk the same way, they walk the same, no messages are different. The patterns, uh, behaviors are understood in the same way. Um, it's everybody's on, again, the same page. And that center was found and it was much closer to her home we were actually able to find a center where we felt that there was a good milieu going and her parents and siblings could visit and interact with her very often it actually took another six months but after almost a, a little more actually than a year we were able to get her into an apartment setting where mary could have her own place it was monitored daily, uh, but she was so happy that she had her own thing. By this time, Mary was really into her new schedule. She had daily activities and errands that she enjoyed. She had lost about 100 pounds and was feeling much better and really had a productive life. But it wasn't easy, and it had to be done at the level Mary was ready to take on out of respect for her. So, again, out of respect for her, you know, Bannerman, again, in this article, talks about, 
okay, you got to put interventions, you're going to put things into place. Are they going to cause the person a lot of stress? Are they going to cause them a lot of anxiety? And if that's the case, what are you going to do to help them with that? <clears throat> you know, it wasn't easy. It had to be done again at her level and at a level that she was ready. It was, it's always a balance between trying to keep the, the client and help the client and help the family because they may have different issues going on, different things that they see as the problem. <clears throat> the, uh, there, there may be some things the family deals with that are significant issues as they affect the whole family poorly. But sometimes these behaviors are, are, are the person and what they are about and need to be understood from that angle. The angle of the individual person who has their own dreams and thoughts of life. Sometimes our behaviors annoy others, and that is life's living amongst many. You know, sometimes we just don't get along with other people. And it doesn't mean that we're a bad person. It doesn't mean that that kid who can't play with other kids is a bad kid. It just means that it's hard for him. It's hard for him to be amongst others. However, if your behavior pushes people away when the person wants them moving towards them, uh, then we believe at total that, it's, that that's the time to intervene. So the person is displaying kind of behaviors that push people away, but inside really wants that attention, really wants that interaction with other people, but does things that may turn them off or turn them away. So that is where we begin to say, okay, this is the time we need to intervene. Because that still is focused, oh, I'm sorry, that's still focused on the client right first, not on the parent first, not on the teacher first, but on the client first. So if they want to sit around eating donuts and taking naps, okay, as long as they still get to lead the life they want. See, where person may start to have obsessive types of behavior when they don't feel like they're getting out of life what they need to, and they can control that one spot. So if they can control that one area, then they may, after a while, even though it's causing them stress, because the rituals are often stressful, you have to remember to go back and touch the thing three times, you have to take four showers, you know, whatever it is. When that becomes very stressful for the person, what then then there has to be said, what is the, the, the option here? Is the option better for the person to stress out during their rituals? But we have to remember that the ritualistic behavior is what releases the stress. It's what gets rid of the stress for them. So then we stop the stress reliever. What else can we put into place? What else can we do to help that person still be successful, still get through their, the challenges that they have in their life. <clears throat> if unaware, however, of opportunities, we believe it's, it's societal, society's responsibility and a humanistic responsibility to guide and introduce and assist a person towards a, toward a multitude of enjoyable, productive activities. There's a lot of things out there in life. Actually, Mary used to work at a bank and she was doing filing and she really enjoyed that. She would interact with other people. She was proud. She would come home and discuss her work with her family. But unfortunately, due to budget cuts, 
the coaching of that department because it did require having some, an adult, another adult there monitoring the program. Uh, the, the money dried up. And so somewhere around 2008, uh, that job stopped. And from 2008 until we met Mary in 2014, um, she was home. She was home trying to exist, trying to have a good life. But unfortunately, she got herself caught up into situations and activities that were unhealthy for her. You know, for one, by getting by gaining all the weight that she had, she got diabetes, and then the diabetes would have fluctuations of blood blood sugar, and she would feel very irritable. She'd feel sickly, you know. And by going through these this major major event, which was removing her from the house and getting her into a new place, you know, the family interacts with her now daily. They uh, communicate by uh, computer, by email, by text, because she doesn't obsess on the computer anymore. She just uses it as a as a tool, and you know she uh, is really having a uh, an enjoyable and a productive life. But but that doesn't mean donuts and naps are are out. God forbid. You know we want the person to be able to have all the enjoyable and, and things in their life and control their own destiny. But at the same time, they, uh, they are going to need guidance around things that are un, maybe unhealthy or unsafe for themselves. So we're going to be back in a few minutes with our guests, Lindsay and Augie, to further discuss last week's ideas of in-home and general kind of supports. We just barely touched on topics last week kind of want to go through what the assessment process is and and what we do when we're uh, trying to evaluate a kid and how we try and evaluate the whole family and see what everybody's capable and able to do um, we do also want to share information that we work on with the home to outside community sources so that those community members um, can understand the individual, interact with the individual, and respect the individual. So again, we'll be back in a few minutes with our guests, Lindsay and Augie, and we'll discuss our ideas from last week. So thank you for listening. Get a cup of coffee, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. 
At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Right, welcome back. I hope you were able to, like I always say, get a little cup of coffee, get a little nosh, something to keep yourself going. We are back with our guests, Augie Jimenez, one of my regional directors, and Lindsay Grizzle, another of my regional directors. So good morning, you two. Hello. Good morning, John. Good morning. So, Augie, last week we were talking about the assessment process and how we set up good programs to intervene in the right area so that we can support parents or support teachers. So how does that uh, uh, process go? How do we start an assessment? How do we know when we need or what we need to assess? What's the, what's the intervention process start, start like? Well, uh, the, the, I think you make a good point. How do we know if this is something to intervene with or you know, how do we find that out? So it usually starts with a review of you know, some information uh, and that is the best way to do that, I feel, is, is talking to the folks directly. So if it's a parent, uh, having a conversation with them about what their, what their concerns are. So you start to get a good sense from them specifically what what their concerns are because sometimes it you know it may be hard to just take something as uh, you know somebody's word from a report that this is something to to work on so talking talking to them about well, what their concerns wait, so are, often, what their family structure is things like that so often we get a referral and the issue seems so great and so huge and almost impossible. And then we get into the situation and we realize that the problem behavior is not exactly how it was described to us. That's absolutely correct. Oftentimes it's not necessarily the case that the problem is, is that extreme. So to a certain extent, you have to validate that information by starting off with a conversation 
and that conversation is is helpful because then it leads to things that you can then move over to some either direct observation of what's happening so you could try to see for yourself what the interactions are like how if the behavior that the parents are or the teachers are uh, are concerned about are happening what they look like specifically and then to a Beyond that, we could even look to to test certain things and see how certain reactions to to ways that the parents are interacting or the teachers are interacting with their son or daughter may uh, support or um, you know support the behavior, support the environment, support the things that that are happening uh, with that particular um, child or or adult. Right, because so often the person is so caught up in dealing with the the stress of the situation the the, they're anxious they can't uh, they can't see the forest through the trees they can't see how they may be involved in actually the the problem themselves yeah that's that's very true and so sometimes that that is an analysis uh, all all to itself is figuring out what specific things that that they may be doing that that are supporting this uh, and that that takes some time to uh, to figure out to to analyze or to to draw conclusions regarding what things the the parent um, may be doing or how you know this, these are things that you know we're all uh, you know we're all victim of and I think anybody that has has a child sees that uh, or can see that sometimes the things that you do as a parent, myself included, are, are reasons why your child uh, does things or, or doesn't do things. And so that's why initially interviewing and, have, and establishing some good rapport and relationships with, with the folks that you're trying to help is really important as well, is because at some, time, at some point we do have to discuss the things that, you know, the way that the environment is set up that's supporting, uh, supporting these things to occur. How often do you find that you get into a situation trying to assess the problem and the person feels that they already know what the issues are and that if somebody was just there to do what they say, there wouldn't be a problem? In other words, they have their own interventions already in place that they believe are working, and but they're still having difficulty, but they're insisting in a excuse me, they're insisting in a sense that the the intervention that they've created continues. I don't know if I'm making sense or not. Yeah, that they just need maybe some additional uh, additional help or support to to have some program that they have in place uh, as as their intervention, you know, so essentially the parents are are doing the right thing, they just need a little bit more help with... But sometimes uh, they aren't. You know, I hate to say it, but sometimes we feed into our kids' behaviors not realizing that we're causing more challenges for ourselves, causing more challenges for for them, and we're actually reinforcing the behavior. Like last week I was talking about uh, a parent whose kid had stolen something, and um, they were able to actually keep what they stole because the parent didn't want to deal with the consequence of of uh, uh, any kind of reprimand on the behavior. Now, they also believe that the word consequence meant a negative. And so 
rather than engaging in a negative because they had been told in the past that that wouldn't work, they simply just allowed him to continue to keep things he had stolen, which of course reinforces that behavior. How do you approach somebody who's, who, in a sense, thinks they've got it going, you know, where it's working, when really you're observing and seeing, hey, there's some issues here that need to be worked on. How do you get yeah, people I'm, to agree or yeah, to work I, with I, you? Your, I think your initial question, if I understand it correct, I, I find that it's that it's off if if the families feel that what they have going on is is a correct program that you know that oftentimes it's it's really not and that's that's a hard thing to that's a hard thing to encounter you said it before you know it's hard to see uh, the, the forest through the trees when you're so close to the problem it, it's difficult so that's something that takes some success on on the part of the program on, on our part to be able to essentially demonstrate that the approach that we're uh, that we're trying to push which is a maybe a new approach which is also really important because if if there's an existing approach that means it's usually been associated with some problems so it, it's important for us to have some success and so that's why i believe a lot of times it's it's really important for the you know the the expert so to speak to to do some uh, work initially to to have some success so then that success could be observed and then if you have a parent that really sees that success then you could start talking about well you know what in what i did was was successful in in alleviating the problem or teaching a new skill uh, that you know the parent may not have thought was possible or the teacher may not have thought was possible before yeah, that's excellent. I mean, you're pointing out things to them that they may not even realize that they're doing that's actually working really well, but they're so caught up in the challenges and the behavioral problems that they never get to actually see, hey, you know what? I actually did have a success. I actually did get the thing out of him that I wanted to. I got him to do what the thing I wanted him to do. Now he's in engaged in this thing and he's having a better day or better life so often they're so the person's so caught up in the problems that they're also afraid that if they start changing things up too much that they're going to have more problems on their hand so how do you deal with that now last week we talked about it too we talked about the idea of what's called an extinction burst you're used to getting something in a certain way and then all of a sudden now you don't get it that way anymore like I think I gave the example of yelling across the house and so if my daughter yells across the house to me all the time and I respond uh, she's gonna keep yelling if I stop responding to her and say hey you gotta come up to talk to me the first thing that she's gonna do is yell louder because she's so used to just yelling across the house so if that's the case and they're afraid that this extinction burst is gonna come how do you how do we prepare them for that? How do we prepare them for the hard stuff? Well, I think a lot of times that takes some some explanation on on our behalf. Uh, you know, we know uh, having done you know interventions or having done things like that, the ex uh, extinction procedures, we know what to expect. A, a parent may not know what to expect, so that's 
on that's our responsibility to be able to explain. Look, this is this is something that is going to occur, right? And if in order for us to be successful with it, not only explaining look, that these are things that that occur when we implement or when we when we try new strategies, that things are going to maybe get a little bit tougher before they get better. But it oftentimes it's helpful to explain that because when we do see things maybe get a little bit worse, uh, we can hopefully you know, recondition or, or reset their mind for their mindset on that. This extinction burst is not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. It's mean, it means that we're starting to have some success here. And so that's our responsibility to do a, a really good job in explaining that when we, when we are making changes and changes are hard, that things might get tough. And when things get tough, that's not, that's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I believe that if we do get an opportunity to prepare the person for that extinction burst, then they'll be more likely to deal with it when it actually occurs. So let me say that in another way. So often the parents are doing everything and the teacher is doing everything to quiet things down, to keep things calm. Now, we tell them, we're going to change up this program on you. We're going to change these things, and your kid's going to probably get worse. He's going to demonstrate more behavioral issues. He's going to demonstrate more problems to you. He's going to get harder. Now, we start the intervention. The parent starts to worry about this. How do we let the parent know? Well, I guess I'll just say it. Do you find that it's necessary to say to the parent, hey, you know what? We're going to be there with you the whole time this is happening. We're not going to abandon you during the time when you are at your doing your hardest job and doing your most challenging job. You're, we're going to be there by your side. How do you, how do you reassure parents, Augie? How do you reassure a teacher? Yeah, I mean, I, it's exactly what you said. I, you know, we're, we'll be there. I, I, I mentioned uh, maybe a few moments ago that I feel that it's important if we are recommending some change that that requires some extinction procedure or, you know, essentially withholding or not giving giving into giving into the issue that we're the ones that we're the ones doing it and and we have a little bit more experience doing it. So we're going to be a little bit, um, you know, more prepared for, for this process. And so that, that, that needs to have some success first. And I feel it's hard to just put all of that on somebody that maybe doesn't have, um, has experience doing that and just say, good luck. You know, you have to, you really have to be there with them. You have to do it possibly for them initially and then show them that it can be uh, a successful uh, a, there can be a successful outcome, uh, you know, leaving somebody, giving somebody instructions to do something and just saying good luck is is not uh, an approach that's going to have much success. So, and that could be the case for anything, for any for any new skill, um, you know, telling somebody to here, you know, make this lasagna from uh, from this recipe, right? And you're not a very good cook, you're not going to you're not going to make some 
some good lasagna. So yeah, and the second something goes wrong, second you can't open your can of tomatoes, or you you overcook your noodles, or you drop your pan on the floor, one problem occurs. Then you start thinking, oh my goodness, this is all going to be bad. The whole dinner is going to be ruined. The whole everything is going to be bad. Just like the second the first behavioral outburst occurs again, the parent's going to feel like, oh, I have no, I'm not doing the right thing. I don't know how to do this. All they did was come in here and work things all up. Now I have a bigger problem than I did before. And we want to consistently reassure the parent that, hey, you know, yeah, it is, it is really rough. And there was the first sign of, of the, the, as you said earlier, Augie, the behavior getting better, even though we've had this extinction burst. But because we've had that first one, and you know what? We got through it. We got through it together. And right. you, we're, we're here talking about it now. So we know we can actually get through these things together and be of support to each other because then we can go on to the next thing and the next thing because quite often in behavior, we find what's called a response class. There's multiple things leading up to a bigger, more powerful behavior. And if we can work on some of those lesser issue behaviors like for instance you might ask a kid to do something and he goes uh and you go okay come on i know you don't really like to do this but we're gonna you know do it together and he again you know starts to get a little bit more forceful no uh -uh." and so you start to realize hey you know this kid is also is anxious he's not sure of himself but i'm gonna help him through it also but he's going to get more resistant before he gets easy with you. And you, through your assessment process, you're able to examine all of those possible smaller issues to say, okay, look, the first time you asked him, he just made a little sound. At that point, you could say to him, we're going to do it together. We're going to be there together so that you don't have to worry about doing this on your own or that it's going to be too hard for you, reassuring the kid too. Now, we've come to one of those times again where it's a break, so we will be back in a couple of minutes and we'll continue with Augie and we'll get Lindsay in on our conversation also. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. We all have challenges each and every day. How do you relax and live in a calm state? On Chaos to Calm, we introduce you to the concept of Renshui, a path to feeling calmer 
and happier. Listen Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. Augie, we'll, we'll continue with what we were talking about and then get Lindsay in on our conversation. Uh, what, do you, what do you hear most often from parents when you first meet them? Um, I, I think the most common thing is that you're just interested with how, how the process goes because it, it is somewhat of a foreign, um, a foreign thing to, to have you know, a, a service provider come to your house and, and, and help you out with, with things. So it, I feel like that is usually the, <coughs> the, most of the questions that we get initially are what the process is, how, you know, how often we're going to be there, what types of things are we going to, to work on? And, you know, oftentimes that's, that's a big part of the discussion and that does help yield a lot of information as well, because then it, it, to tell you that the you know the parent or the family uh, either you know have some, some background and understanding what what they're you know getting into or that they you know they really don't and so then you know that certain certain types of support or re-education may be may be necessary in terms of oh unfortunately Augie we're we're kind of losing your connection there so we're oh, not okay. hearing you. But uh, we heard the majority of it. And you know what I think I'll do actually is ask Lindsay the same question to kind of join in with us. What do you hear most often from parents, Lindsay, when you're first starting with them? And welcome um, back. Hi. Thank hi. you. Um, when we're first starting off, and most of my experience is coming from the in-home type of intervention services, and a lot of times what parents I feel one is first off somebody to kind of tell their story to. So we're going in initially and they're kind of opening up, telling us that, telling us their story. They want somebody to listen to them. Um, somebody maybe that won't judge them. Somebody that kind of has, has these experiences with other families and, you know, won't judge them. And, but I, I think a lot of times the parents don't know right off the bat what they actually need. Um, that comes, that can come out in different ways during our initial assessments. And um, it's, from my experience, going into a home um, can kind of go one of two ways. You can have a, a parent who seems to kind of downplay the situation that they, that's going on in the home. 
you know, their kind of a, approaches, you know, it's not that bad. Every time I take the iPad away, there's another hole in the wall. Um, there's often a lot of guilt and maybe embarrassment at play when we're interacting with these type of families. And it's tell, really tell, tell me, to... wait, wait, tell me more about that part. Tell me more about that guilt and the embarrassment part because it's such a huge issue. What do you mean well, that they we, feel guilty or they feel embarrassed? Yeah. They are coming into their home, and we all know when we have guests come into our home, we want our house to be clean, we want it to be organized, we want our kids to behave, you know, like a little angels. And we're coming into the home, and if, if the parent's living in a state of stress and hopelessness <laughs> and anxiety, that the home isn't probably going to, you know, be put together. So I, I'm, we see that parents can, come, uh, can apologize for how their kids are acting or apologize that their house is, house is messy. So I think there's some um, kind of embarrassment along those lines and then also guilt of what, what haven't I done to make things better or, or, you know, I've tried things and I didn't do, it didn't work out. What I did didn't work out or I didn't try hard enough as a parent and, and you know, this is why you're in my home. Um, so that's that's kind of what I see as as far as the parent feeling guilty and, and embarrassed um, when we're going in and, and initially trying to help. Yeah, because they're so often having to interact in different places in the world and people see what their kid is doing and there's this, you know, the one thing about like autism, for instance, and many disabilities is that they're often invisible, meaning that you can't just look at a kid with autism who's just sitting there and know that he has autism. He's going to look like any other kid. So then all of a sudden he starts acting out, quote unquote, problems start happening and, and people look at you like, what the heck's the matter with you? Why can't you take care of your own kid? You know, or you take your kid, maybe, maybe, maybe he gets invited to a party, a birthday party or something. And so you take your kid to this party and he doesn't doesn't know how to play with other kids. He doesn't know how to do all this stuff. So he starts yeah. to maybe keep the ball too much or, or not play with others. And then the parents turn to them and say, why, why is your kid acting this way? Or they turn to each other and you know that they're talking about you. What I always try to remind the parent is that nobody knows what shoes you live in. Nobody knows the life you that you walk. And that, yes, you may feel embarrassed by these acting out behaviors, but most people should have the realization that your child has a disability and something is going wrong. And if they don't have that much respect for you, then you probably don't need that person in your life. <clears throat> Excuse me. How do you think Total Programs, Lindsay, and other similar agencies can, can help parents? Um, uh, and, I, and I should um, ask a, a, big, a, a, a more specific question. How can we help parents get involved in their programs? How can agencies work with family so that the family is involved in their, pro so that their program is successful. Yeah. Um, starting from the assessment process at the very beginning, we have to make sure parents are really deciding on what they 
want to work on, what they want us to work on, what they're wanting to work on. The, the supervisor assessing the behavior may help recommend kind of the sequence to tackle things that need to be worked on. Um, but the parent needs to make a commitment to seeing that that goal or what they want all the way until progress is made, until the therapist is, has faded out. And I'm thinking, making, making sure... What if they're afraid of that? What if they're afraid of the parent? They are of the, afraid of it. Of, of yeah, the they are afraid leaving. of it. So how do we deal with that? Because it's like, look, this is trying to empower you. How do we empower them without making them feel abandoned in a sense? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, at, at the beginning, we need to, they're teaming with us. They um, were actually fading right from the, from the first intervention session. We, as therapists, we have to keep in mind that we're trying to, to fade out from the beginning. And parents, by, by teaming with the parent at the very beginning, they are able to kind of, they're directly experiencing small successes along the way. They can't be in the background watching the successes happen. They need to be the one prompting or teaching their kid um, to do these skills. And then when this... When wait, 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 wait. When you go too fast. If they do that, if they become part of it, the benefit is that they see themselves as the successful ones, not the therapists. If they just see that the therapist is successful all the time, they're going to start to believe that only the therapist can be, or teacher or whatever, can be successful. And that's why getting them going, part of it, being part of the program right from the get-go is so important because when those successes happen, they need to be seen by the parent as those successes happening because of them. Yeah, like I taught him that or that's their hard work paying off. Right. And, and and ultimately it makes it makes it easier to fade out when the parents are confident. We can't it's very <clears throat> challenging to do a fade out plan or recommend fade out services for us not to come into the home anymore if the parent doesn't think that they can do it, if they can't believe that they can do it. Remember in the movie Dumbo? Dumbo could fly, but why could he fly? Do you remember? Feather. <laughs> Yeah. He had a feather. He had the crow's feather in his nose, in his trunk, and so he thought that was making him fly. He didn't realize that those big ears he had were making him fly, what he could do on his own, himself. Maybe we need to have all of our parents and teachers watch Dumbo before we get started so that they realize, hey, yeah, I can, I can take help. I can receive this assistance, but I can also fly on my own. And getting them to fly on their own, what a what an accomplishment. If we could make an accomplishment in some area, boy, that would be the one. Right. When they uh, start in on their programs, how do you get how do you get staff involved with them? Um well, what do you expect from staff when they come into a, a new program? It's, it's a total team approach. It needs to be, there's the supervisor that is kind of guiding the process, the parents who are giving their input about what they want the end result to be, and the staff are there to help kind of bridge bridge what 
needs to happen, what the intervention plan is saying needs to occur, and how the parents are actually implementing it. They need to um, be able to demonstrate those skills as a model for the parents and give the parents something to copy. And on the flip side of that, when the parents are starting to copy the staff following through with the plan, then the staff needs to give the thumbs up to the parents, like, hey, you did it. You know, it it was a little thing, but you just followed through or you just, you know, took away the iPad without, you know, getting upset that it took 10 minutes instead of, you know, instead of one minute. So the staff is... Staff has to go in understanding that it's going to be a long process to look at the little successes and to reinforce or to reward the parent when when the parent's following our intervention. Yeah, and work alongside of the parent. Get them involved in what you're doing. Don't <clears throat> just separate out yourself with the kid and keep the kid calm so that the parent is appeased or the teacher is happy because there's no you know, acting out or whatever. No, get them involved in the daily activities with their kid and the staff because usually those acting outs are just some form of communication. I want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't know how to do this. And the more that we, for one, as Augie was saying earlier, the more that we assess, figure out what the situation is, we then go in and, as you said, Lindsay, with that team approach, able to Everybody has a role. Everybody's going to have ups and downs. We're all going to try to do our best, but nobody is going to be called out for a failure. Nobody's going to be told, you should have done this this way. So often we see that, often in school settings, that maybe a paraeducator or classroom aide is given the responsibility of a kiddo and told, I'm you know, you need to keep him calm, you need to keep him, you know, acting right, on task, lots of responsibility, and they put that all on that person, making them feel solely responsible, and often not giving them the training that they need. I love the way, Lindsay, that you said, first the supervisor kind of figures out what the program is, then, and tries it themselves, then they train their staff, to do that and then the staff work alongside uh, the parents so that everybody is consistently feeling supported. How do you, you you said Lindsay right from the beginning you let people know what the process is and we only have literally we have a minute left of the show so in the next like 30 seconds or so kind of tell me Lindsay how do you, what's the best way to Start. You said the fading begins at the beginning of the program. When do you know it's time to to let go and let the parent do that on their own? Um, when the when the parent is able to do it when we're not there, um, that they can communicate that you know, oh, I took that strategy and I used it on the playground the other day, or I used it um, for you know, during his piano lesson or whatever the situation may be is when they are able to take that skill and use it in a context that we didn't teach. Um, and we went there. That's, that's amazing. So that when they're able to do that thing on their own and demonstrate it and have some success and be able to see their successes. Again, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our show. 
And I'm so pleased to have had Augie and Lindsay on again. We could do more and more, and maybe in a couple weeks we'll do it again. Thank you guys for coming. And remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success. And know that each day can be the new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings to you all. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.